Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Armchair Booking Wrestling Podcast. I'm your host. My name is Steve, and joining me is my co-host, Kyle. Say hello, Kyle. Hello, everyone. And tonight, we're going to be discussing our armchair booking Survivor Series 1990, because at the time of us recording this, it is one day after the 30th anniversary of said pay-per-view, which is also the 30th anniversary of the debut of the Gobbledygooker. But more importantly, it is the debut or the anniversary of the debut of one of my favorite wrestlers, and I believe he's one of your favorites as well, Kyle. Yep. And that would be The Undertaker. And it was really, really sad just to think about him leaving. I guess his career has finally ended. But he's had a heck of a career, and we're going to discuss the beginning, not of necessarily of his career when it started, when he was the Punisher or Texas Red or whatever other names he went by before he went to the WWF and became The Undertaker. But his time as The Undertaker, we're just going to discuss the, the pay-per-view where it all started. But yep, before we get started, though, I want to go ahead and tell you how if you everybody wants to contact us uh, tonight, if you actually if you want to uh, dial in, just dial area code 319 527 6089. If you want to email us, it's armchairbookingpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash armchairbookingpodcast. We're on Twitter at bookingarmchair. You can actually get our archives for the podcast itself. You can find us on iHeartRadio. You can find us on Stitcher. You can find us on the Apple Podcast. You can find us on Spotify. Just do a search for Armchair Booking, and Iris should be. The only one that pops up. And before, also before we get started, I do, do want to give a couple more uh, plugs. One, we are still trying to help Mean Selena Dean. She's a wrestler with the Northern Wrestling Federation. She has a GoFundMe set up for her mother who is battling breast cancer. If you go to our page, you can actually find the link for that uh, as well. Or you can just go to GoFundMe and look up the Best Mom fund FU cancer and please it's nice that people do share that but please donate as well if everybody that's listened to this just gave $10 they could easily reach their goal of 2000 and help her mom you know, get away from this just horrible disease and one more uh, announcement kind of a plug as well um, I want to give thank you to Jordan Garber he once again interviewed me uh, yesterday, and he had me you know, just a real quick interview just so we could plug our podcast. He uh, he wanted to do that for us, and hopefully we'll be able to interview him as well on our show because he's a man. He's actually been involved in the business, and he enjoys helping people out. So if you just look up the Jordan Garber Now podcast, you should be able to find him, and he's uh, just a really great guy and a really big wrestling fan. We really appreciate him helping us out. So. Kyle, have I missed anything? No, I think you got everything this, this yep, week. And the, and the list is growing longer and longer of things that we're, <laughs> we're, we're adding to that. You know, so, Kyle, 
were you able to give another watch to the Survivor Series 1990? I was. So I didn't watch last night's Survivor Series, but I did watch the 1990 version. And did you take a lot of notes? Because I took a lot of notes. I took a few notes. I'm able to use my autistic memory to kind (laughs) of memorize everything I want to talk about. And and remember, this was the pay-per-view where we lost uh, our fish, number seven, uh, because he cooked on the cable box because I didn't realize that was so hot. So this is a memorable pay-per-view in my household because I learned about pet care. (laughs) Well, turning a negative into a positive. But one of the things that I was surprised about with Survivor Series in 1990 was Shane Douglas was actually in a untelevised opening match against Playboy Buddy Rose. I don't know if they were calling him Playboy in the WWF. He was was his Playboy with the blow-away diet. Yes. (laughs) He weighed a good 320, 330, and it wasn't muscle. No. But I won't talk about his appearance because this is a family-friendly show. Buddy Rose, though, he was a great wrestler. He's one of the ones uh, very severely underrated, if you ask me. Actually, I think Shane Douglas is also underrated. And I don't, you know, I know Shane Douglas was in the WWF later on, and I know there were some issues there. Um, he had some personality issues with some of the people within the WWF at the time, and so his run was not the greatest. However, Shane Douglas is actually a. To me, he's a really good wrestler. And I think the personality conflicts, whether be it him or somebody else, you know, is kind of what cost him his due. Shane Douglas was perfect for ECW. He had enough of an edge. The triple threat was something something very good for him with Candido and Bigelow. But there's just a a certain group of wrestlers back then who didn't like him as a person, didn't think they could draw money with him and kind of pushed him out. And that's really, really sad. You know, I, I, I hate seeing things like that happen really in any profession when you have a group who kind of bullies some other people that they, you really, they should be teammates. They should be coworkers and no, they choose to, be kind of jerks instead, but um, and I don't know if we can ever find that dark match because they had a habit of well, not taping the dark matches back then. But our first match, and this match, the uh, the Warriors, Animal Hawk, the Texas Tornado, Kerry Von Erich, and the Ultimate Warrior uh, over the perfect team of Axe Crush, Mr. Perfect, and Smash. Now, why would they have Mr. Perfect listed with, in the middle of all that? That doesn't make any sense. But anyway, yeah, I'm reading off the Wikipedia page, the actual lineup, because I don't have your memory. What, what I got a kick out of here 
and, and this, they've really gone away with this was the naming of the Survivor Series teams. This one, um, the people who were not followers of anybody outside of WWF may not have caught why the team was named that. They just thought, well, it's the Ultimate Warriors team, so they're all the Warriors. But Adam and Hawk, everywhere else around the, the world, they're known as the Road Warriors. They get the WWF, it's just the Legion of Doom. And Terry Von Erich, the Texas Tornado, when he was outside of the WWF, he was known as the Modern Day Warrior. So to me, the name fit, and it may have been kind of an inside joke that somebody did just to see if anybody caught on. What do you think? I think because the Road Warriors were not a Vince creation, he wanted something different. I think uh, the Kerry Von Erich, the na- uh, honestly, he was Kerry Von Erich. He should have been Kerry Von Erich. He should have been a an influential figure for the disabled community because he was wrestling on one foot. And both, although we did have a discussion about the Road Warriors or the Legion of Doom, the WWF run could have been more if they just kept them the way they were. Yeah. And one of the things that actually had hit me about this match, and I got this from my notes, they only had they did a promo only with the Warrior team. Well, all five people involved with that promo are now gone. Because of course you had all four of the, the Warriors and Gene Okerlund. And then you look at the, the rest of the match, seventy five percent of the participants are deceased, eighty percent if you include the managers. And how shocking is that being that it's just thirty years? Right. And, you know, of course, probably the biggest tragedy being the Texas Tornado, you know, with Kerry Von Erich, you know, and the whole Von Erich family, I mean, which is just a horrible tragedy, what happened to all them, you know, with him dying so young and unfortunately by his own hand. And then you have uh, the Ultimate Warrior died, you know, fairly young as well. Uh, two days or three days, we think it was on Saturday, and he died on Tuesday. So yeah, it was three days after he was inducted into the the Hall of Fame, and then Hawk dying pretty young, uh, and then Animal just now leaving us, you know. And I would say also relatively young because he was just barely sixty, wasn't he? Yeah, Crush, of course, very young. Yep. Now Bobby Heenan and Mr. Fuji lived quite a while. They did. You know, Bobby Heenan fought cancer for quite a while. Uh, I don't remember how Mr. Fuji died. Um, but then we also had Mr. Perfect. You know, unfortunately, you know, his habits kind of caught up to him because he said it wasn't, an, it wasn't an overdose necessarily, like he took too much at one time, but he had enough that it accumulated, enough cocaine that it accumulated in his body where it was called cocaine intoxication. 
So like a long-term overdose in a way is what it sounds like. But it's weird to watch these events as we go through and see how many wrestlers from our childhood have passed away. Yeah, and especially these, because all of these guys were phenomenal. And this actually says something as well. Mr. Perfect, who was not a slouch, I mean, as far as like his body type, and you look at him, I mean, and he was pretty pretty well built, but he wasn't the, the bodybuilding type like everybody else, and he's the small guy. You know, and he was not a small guy, but he was the smallest guy in this match. The run. Yeah. I mean, that's saying something. But the, I thought the match itself was decent. You know, we weren't expecting too many scientific moves, I guess, unless you had Perfect and Kerry Von Erich in there. And even then, it was kind of iffy. Uh, I did like how Kerry Von Erich whipped out the, the Iron Claw. I wish he would have used that more as a finishing move in the WWF, but for whatever reason, they just didn't really buy it, maybe because it's like, well, it's too, it reminds them too much of world class. But his discus punch, and which is one of the reasons why they, they named him the Texas Tornado, the discus punch was still a great move because he was a discus thrower in high school, and he was, what, an alternate for the 1980 Olympic team, the one that was supposed to go uh, compete in Moscow but didn't. Yeah, he was good. All the of all the wrestlers that we're talking about in this match, Kerry Von Erich had the perfect build for being a wrestler. Oh, oh, absolutely. Because even Ric Flair has said he always said Kerry Von Erich had the body of a Greek god. He's one of the best bodies out there. I mean, he like he just looked the part. But nothing, nothing in this match was firing. The Ultimate Warrior with the majority of the pins. You have the the unique part having. Demolition and LOD both get a double disqualification. Which I thought that was kind of weak sauce because they disqualified him for basically being in the ring. I mean, and I know they had the five count, but uh, it was, you know, it was almost a way of, hey, this is running a little over. You know, start getting some people out. That's what it felt like. No, it, it played into the fact that they were feuding teams and we're still fighting. True. Got to watch in these older matches because to have a disqualification, you have to have rules. And there aren't many rules in wrestling that are being followed right now. Uh, Although I did see a, a disqualification for not breaking a hold last night. It actually happened. But... So, but you, you have the tag teams that are feuding, Mr. Perfect, Texas Tornado, who have been feuding over the IC title, and then Mr. Perfect, the Ultimate Warrior, finishing up the match as the team captain. That was, that was a title feud that 
we really missed on. And which they showed perfect, you know, Kurt Hennig, when he did the perfect plex to uh, Texas Tornado and got the one, two, three, I was like, okay, makes sense. That's his move. And it's actually a good move. I mean, it's it looks like something almost a legit like freestyle move that you could actually see in amateur wrestling in a way, sort of. Because yeah, he's got the leg, he goes back, he's got it hooked, boom, one, two, three. Or actually, in, in amateur wrestling, just one. A fisherman suplex. But of all the of all the matches, real interesting that they start out with the WWF champion first. Yeah, and I was kind of thinking that too. Um, I think it was almost disrespectful to the warrior, but I think it was also a way of kind of preserving, you know, his strength for later on, you know, with the ultimate survival, you know, the, the survival of the survivals, you know, the survivors of the survivors, whatever you want to call it at the very end, which made for kind of almost too long of a card, if you ask me. But... They were still getting the warrior over. He wasn't as popular as Hogan. I don't think anybody could have been a, as popular as Hogan back then. No, but I mean, people still liked him. And one of the things, though, just kind of moving along with our next match, unless there's anything else you want to say about the first match. No. Okay. Next matches, of course, when you have the million dollar team. You know, the Honky Tonk Man, Greg Valentine, Ted DiBiase, and a mystery partner <laughs> against the Dream Team, which, you know, of course, Dusty Rhodes, the American Dream, uh, the Heart Foundation, and Coco Beware. And, of course, mystery partner turns out to be The Undertaker. And at the time, people who were not watching anything but WWF, you know, I would say if, if they weren't watching WCW or weren't watching World Class or weren't watching, you know, the stuff out of uh, Memphis, they wouldn't know who this Undertaker person was. Because first time I saw him, I'm like, hey, that's that's mean Mark Callis. Wow, he looks a lot with, different. Wow, he looks a lot better. With longer hair. With longer hair. And bags under his eyes. And attitude. But one of the things I actually thought was kind of interesting about this match was... Coco Beware was really the only person involved in this match who did not have a pre-existing feud before the match. You know what I'm saying? Um, because with the Hart Foundation, you know, you had them going against the uh, Rhythm and Blues. Seeing Greg Valentine with that hair dyed jet black, to me, just always screams kind of travesty. Kind of misusing him, but you know what? He he was a professional. He went with it. You had Dusty Rhodes against DiBiase, and the Undertaker kind of fell more in with that. So, so you know, who is Co- Coco feeling with? Coco is in this match because he's the enhancement talent, and unfortunately, 
when you're in that role, which he did so well, he's a Hall of Famer, someone's got to be the first guy to take the pin from the Undertaker to make him look good. And beating Coco, I mean, it did, and it does give you some credibility. I would say. I mean, when they pin Coco Beware in a minute and 39 seconds, that immediately establishes the Undertaker of force. Yep. And, and if that didn't establish him as a force, I think him pinning Dusty Rhodes about seven minutes later would really establish him. Now, the one question I kind of had with this, the Undertaker was not in WCW when Dusty was booking, was he? Oh, you know, I'd actually have to look that up. I mean, if they may have crossed a little bit. When did Dusty, when did he leave? Bled with the Road Warrior angle in 88. Was it 88? Well, because he was only in one WrestleMania, and that was WrestleMania 8. So, actually, I think Dusty may have left there around 89. Because he was in WrestleMania 8, which was in 1990 up in Toronto. 6 was 90. Oh, shoot, you're right. Yeah, either way, but he was, it was in 1990. Um, number 6, yeah, not number 8. Okay, we're gonna to have to do WrestleMania eight just because it keeps it keeps coming up. Um, just because we need you know we need to fill out some <laughs> some of these other other titles. But yeah, you know, so mark that down. We're gonna do WrestleMania eight at some point in the future. Um, either way, yeah. So I'll have to look that up to see if he and uh, is Dusty and Mark Calloway if they did actually cross paths at least for a hiccup. In WCW, it may not have been for long, but now the other thing with this this set of matches, so the second to have Bret Hart at the end um, with Greg Valentine and Ted DiBiase. Do you think this is the start of his singles evaluation? You know, I think it could have been. Because they'd had him in some singles matches prior to this. In fact, when he he went against Ricky Steamboat in a match that a lot of people was considered kind of one of those unseen classics, and I remember actually watching it uh, when it happened because it was they were supposed to go against each other at one of the main cards. It may have been like a WrestleMania, a Brett single instead of as a tag team, but they ended up putting it on like on a match at the Boston Gardens, because I think I was at somebody's house watching on the New England Sports Network, if that's even still a thing. But, yes, I mean, they should have known Bret Hart just with the the name alone, Hart, him coming from the Hart dynasty, you know, from Stu Hart's clan. That alone should have said he's good, but he still has to show it in the ring. Right. And... It was good. It, it's interesting thought, and you still got the push with um, 
oh my gosh, I just lost my train of thought with Ted DiBiase, who is still deep in the million dollar man gimmick. So an opportunity there for uh for the for him I wonder if it would have been different for Ted DiBiase if he actually won the title versus having the created title of the million dollar championship. Well, think about this too, and I mean it, the the thought just now struck me and it should have hit me the other day. One of the reasons why they created that belt for him was indirectly because of the Honky Tonk Man, because the Honky Tonk Man refused to job the Intercontinental title back to Randy Savage. So instead, they made, okay, they made Randy Savage the world champion, which they were going to give to Ted DiBiase, but now they don't have anything to Ted, so they made him the million-dollar champion, which kind of fit the character anyway. So, yeah. But now the next match, unless you have a little bit more to say about the second match. No, as far as booking so far with the card, I like the team setups. I like the unique names. I'm intrigued over these soul survivors. Yeah. And Although, I mean, I will say some of the finishes, I was kind of of like, eh, because there was quite a few power slam finishes. There was Ted DiBiase doing a clothesline for a finish over Jim Neidhart. He just, kind of a weak-looking clothesline. Um, The Undertaker was counted out, but he wasn't even the legal man. That's been a travesty to the justice, hashtag justice for Undertaker. Anyway, since everybody wants to jump, jump on that trend. But the next one, the next one with what the Visionaries versus the Vipers. And so this, this is such a good thing. Um, so you have Rick the Model Martell leading a team. And Obviously, you have Jake the Snake on the other side, so he's going to have a snake-themed team. But having blinded Jake the Snake with the arrogance cologne, (laughs) I loved Rick Martell back then because of the arrogance commercials. I'm always probably going to be on the fence about Martell, the model character, just because I always remember Rick Martell as the classic world champion from the AWA. So it was such a a departure from from the almost like goody goody, you know, squeaky clean to all of a sudden he's, you know, the model, very arrogant, and you know, but the talent was still there though, so I couldn't really squash on them too much. Like, I, I I think they're they're missing out. Having the arrogance cologne as a, a prop, like, if there's some things that can get passed down from this generation to the current generation, uh, 
Dolph Ziggler could use some air against Cologne. You know what? You're right. He actually would be the perfect person for that, too. This match... You see Power and Glory, which is a tag team that really didn't get its due. Uh, the Powerplex was one of the best finishers that was ever in tag team wrestling. But you had Marty Jannetty losing the first fall to the Warlord. That's where size matters. So that's... And i tell you what, my notes, I said the Warlord was really the star of this match. If you go back and watch it again, I mean, the Warlord to me was the one who stood out the absolute most. And when he pinned Marty Jannetty, it was really how he pinned him. When Jannetty came off the second rope, he was trying to do like a double axe handle, and Warlord caught him in midair and just pivoted and, and did his power slam on him. And it was the way he did it. It was like, oh, yeah, he ain't getting up. Not, not anytime soon, he's not getting up. No. So you you have that. Um, the other thing you see here, and this is kind of sad to say because he's now passed on. Jimmy Snuka's time in wrestling had passed him by at this point. Yes. And, I mean, he still looked great. But, you're right, I mean, he was not the super fly of old. No. And, and yeah, it had it passed him by, and, and that was sad to see. In hindsight, knowing he's He's passed on. Early, early, early Shawn Michaels taking a fall from Paul Roma. Yes, with the powerplex. And one of the things, this is one of the matches I remember from watching way, way back in the day. And there was always a couple of things I always remembered. One, the power slam of Marty Jannetty from the Warlord. To the powerplex that uh, with Roma and Hercules, because I thought that was one of the coolest tag team finishing moves ever. I still do. And three, Warlord, he did a backdrop to Shawn Michaels that he went up so high that if, if it had been a hell in a cell match, he would have went up through the roof of the cell. Because, I mean, it was just extremely – he just tossed him up, and he was up there for a while, almost to the yeah. point where he, his, his, he almost, like, went out of camera range. I mean, that's how high he threw him up. And he came right down on his back. But I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, and that's another reason I said the Warlord was really the, the one who stood out for me in this match. But the Powerplex, I always liked that move. And power and glory, they deserved more accolades than what they got. Hashtag justice for power and glory. Yeah, I'm going to be doing that all night. <laughs> Hashtag. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, it just a good combination 
uh, of all the teams that kind of this is the one that the entire heel side survives to go on to the next round. Which adds to the intrigue because we already know that the ultimate warrior is on the face side or the good guy side, you know, if we're still going to be marks and on the bad guy side, you have DiBiase and then you have the entire visionary team, Hercules, Roma, Martel and the warlord. And they just look unstoppable. One of the things, one more note about this, um, and with Snuka and Janetti, there's something else I kind of noticed because I know I note I do that I notice things. You had Jimmy Snuka, who has now unfortunately been he's in a, he's accused of murdering somebody. You know his girlfriend. Uh, they did the dark side of the ring about it, and then you have Marty Janetti, who was claimed to have murdered somebody. Claimed. And then recanted. And then recanted. But cocaine is a hell of a drug. It is. And I think he was doing a lot of it. And he's another one. You look at the difference between the way his career went and Shawn Michaels' career went, and both of it's of really their own doing. Because Marty Jannetty, he had talent. And Shawn Michaels, you know, he tried to help him out later on, but Marty Jannetty just couldn't stay out of trouble. But but that that's the lifestyle of an 80s wrestler. It was. You're right. And, and that's why so many are not not around. Yeah, because that, actually in that match, um, Snuka and Hercules are no longer with us. But you look at, like, wrestlers 30 years ago, um, take a look at what Paul Roma looks like today. And that man doesn't look any different. I haven't seen him. You'll have to send me something about it, or maybe I'll have to Google. Does he still look um, in shape? He's still in shape. He runs a wrestling school. He's doing, um, oh, it's a small promotion up in the upper northeast that he runs events out of. But from the photos, he looks like almost the exact same. Hmm. And and that's what living a proper lifestyle do to you. I will have to check that out. And well, as long as he's not going around saying things like Ric Flair wishes he was me. No problem. But, <laughs> but, uh, that's, that's the debate that we can have another day. Um. Anyway. On that note, I'm going to go ahead and move on to the next match. Uh, this one, I know there was a lot of feuds kind of mixed in with this one, but he had the Hulkamaniacs and the Natural Disasters, which is kind of ironic considering that one of the members of the Hulkamaniacs later on teamed with a member of the Natural Disasters, and they called themselves the Natural Disasters. When you had... Big Boss Man, Hulk Hogan, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, and 
tugboat. We're going against the Barbarian, Dino Bravo, Earthquake, and Haku. And looking at this one, not to be grim, but we also have, you know, a member of one side and two members of the other side who are no longer with us. But Earthquake was what, cancer? Earthquake died of cancer, yes. Um, John Tenta. Yeah. Earthquake, in unfortunately, was taken from us by cancer. Big Boss Man, I believe, was a heart attack. And, of course, Dino Bravo, unfortunately, was murdered. Uh, execution style. Because he, was, he had gotten involved with, you know, some criminal underworld up in Canada. And that's another Dark Side of the Ring. I feel like we're plugging the Dark Side of the Ring tonight, too. Good, good Lord. But it is a good series, and hopefully it'll be starting again soon. But the match itself, I mean... Just you and I knowing, well, even knowing back then, and knowing what we know now, we knew this was going to be a vehicle for Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan is not going to get beat in something like this. No. And, and th- this is the pay-per-view Hogan must pose. Yeah. Well, Hogan's always going to pose. But some of the notes... Um, that I put down some cheesy entrance music, and I think I was specifically thinking about Bossman's music. I always thought, if you're ever going down to Cobb County, Georgia, and I'm like, yeah. So, but cheesy entrance music, and Haku actually replaced Rick Rude. Rick Rude had actually left WWF over, I think it was money, a money dispute. Uh, a money dispute over SummerSlam 1990. Because the warrior made so much more money than him. Whole match, of course, you got the Hulk Hogan, the Hulkamaniacs, and not not a very inspiring team. This is just all the good guys. Exactly. Yep. I, that's you know what that's describing it perfectly. It was all the good guys. And Haku's filler. Yeah, he was a last-minute substitution because for everything we've read, we don't know it personally, and that's probably a good thing we don't know this personally, but Haku is the man that everybody in wrestling is afraid of, afraid of making him mad anyway. They say that he's actually just a wonderful human being, but just don't make him mad because he will literally pull your teeth out or pull an eyeball out because he's actually done that. But, but to see him get beat, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. You have um, Tugboat Earthquake, and you're right. It's weird to see that they're about to form a tag team. Yeah. And a successful one at that. Yeah, they were tag I, team champions. So. You have Haku and the Barbarian, who would go on to form a tag team in WCW. They did, that's right. I don't know why that totally slipped my mind. And, and Dino Bravo, for being a jacked guy, didn't get much of a WCW or WWE run. 
at, at the top, not even in Canada with Hogan or Warrior. So he had a brief feud with Warrior for prior to one of the WrestleManias, but this is formulaic late 90s Hogan or late 80s, early 90s Hogan. Big guy on the other side by appearances. They can beat him down with size and they're honestly there to take a fall. But did you notice how Hogan pinned Dino Bravo? This actually shocked me. I, it almost knocked me out of my chair how he did it. He didn't do Describe it with the, our audience. He, he did not do it with the the boot to the face and a leg drop and a, and a hand to his ear. He did it with a small package. Since when does Hulk Hogan actually use a wrestling move? Japan, maybe. Maybe he thought he was in Japan. Don't know, but he actually did it with a small package. I was like, oh, wow. When did Hulk Hogan learn that? One of the other notes I have on that, uh, the earthquake was, I thought earthquake was pretty impressive in the match because, uh, you know, he manhandled Hogan and Bossman both. And whether it's a work or not, those are some two big guys. And earthquake, I mean, he was just tossing them around. And you remember how I was mentioning when Hogan was against Undertaker a year later and when he went to go slam the Undertaker, but instead of having his arm up between his shoulder and his head, you know, basically right beside his neck, instead he had his arm tucked up underneath the Undertaker's arm. Well, he did the same thing with Earthquake. So basically he had that arm free to clap him across the back. And I'm thinking, don't, you know, just don't make it obvious, you know, that you're doing it on purpose just to give the that room to slam across his back like that to break up the, the slam. And, and the thing is, go ahead. Also, um, watching these, the time, it, has, it, has it been weird to you so far? The first set of matches went 14-20 with four pins. Well, hold on. With seven pins. For seven, seven falls, is, you know, somehow there's this qualification. Yeah. The but, next one, six pins and a count out. Next one, 17, almost 18 minutes with three pins and a count out. Uh, the Hogan team, seven, um, Seven falls, 14 minutes, 49 seconds. And then you get to this last one, and I'll tell you, this one seems out of place. Kind of does. And real quick, just on the the last match, uh, before we move on, I also put Piper, right? Piper's in the commentary. He was actually slamming Hogan quite a bit. You know, even though Piper was a face at this point, had been a face for a while, he didn't really have a lot of good to say about Hogan. Uh, and I even, I put my other note, Barbarian deserved better because he was handling Hogan, and then, of course, Hogan, 
you know, foot, leg, drop, pin, done. Hogan poses. Then let's move on to the next match. And you're right, this one, it did seem out of place. The name seemed out of place because (laughs) another one of observations that I like to make, you have the alliance with the the Sheep Herders, Nikolai Volkov, Tito Santana against the Mercenaries with Boris Zukov, Slaughter, Sato, and Tanaka. So on one side, you have one American. Granted, you know, he's been, always been credited as being from uh, Mexico, but Tito Santana, he's, a, he's actually a Texican. Against, you know, and they're supposed to be the American team, so you have three non-Americans and one almost a dual citizen against a team with three Americans, one of which is being portrayed as being from Russia, Boris Zukov, and he's actually like from South Carolina. And Sato was the only one who's actually from Japan. Because Pat right. Tanaka, yeah, Pat Tanaka, he was born in Hawaii. I think he has Japanese heritage, but yeah, he was actually born in Hawaii. Now, granted, Mr. Fuji, I think, was also born in Hawaii, Harry Fujiwara, but General Adnan was actually Iraqi. I didn't know that until I was actually reading more about his biography. He's one actually one of the most interesting individuals, I think, that's out there, uh, especially during this time. And when I was watching Slaughter, because this was right – Desert Shield was going on during this time, and my stepdad was actually deployed – to Saudi Arabia. This was a, a couple months before that they actually invaded, went into Kuwait to knock Iraq out. But I'm looking at it, like you say, you, know, you, you say with the lens of today, or how do you say it, like present day lens or 2020 lens or present, how do you say it, Kyle? Uh, present day glasses. Yeah, present day glasses, thank you. Which I always like that phrase. I think you need to trademark that. But looking at it with present day glasses, you know, knowing now that, you know, you and I both have been in uniform, yeah, it was a bad idea to have Sergeant Slaughter, the man who was supposed to be all about America, had his own G.I. Joe character, and then make him an Iraqi sympathizer. But General Adnan, Adnan O'Casey, he's actually from Iraq, and he actually knew Saddam. He was friends with Saddam Hussein when they were in high school. And Adnan Al-Casey actually pinned Andre the Giant in a match in Iraq, and he was actually trying to bring wrestling into Iraq, and he was actually going to try to build it up there, and he was becoming very, very popular. But by this point, his friend at the time, Saddam Hussein, was, had become the, the, the ruler of the country and started getting paranoid about anybody being more popular than him. So Adnan O'Casey fled the country because all these people who Saddam Hussein felt threatened by, he had them killed. Right. So Adnan O'Casey was like, nope. And he left. And that's the part I found was interesting because it, oh, he looks just like Saddam Hussein. I was even thinking then, that's Adnan, that's, that's, that's Sheikh Adnan O'Casey. And then to find out all, all that, you know, I don't know why that's not more common knowledge because that, to me, is one of the most fascinating stories I think you'll ever hear about anybody involved in wrestling. Because he, act, I mean, he's he's legit. And 
this this is one now take those present day glasses. In three months, Sergeant Slaughter is going to be the WWF champion. How how does he get eliminated from this match? <laughs> Disqualification. Uh, again, we we do have present day lenses. Well, one of the things about this match, though, it started out um, for Zukov, which poor 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 Zukov, because this was the same year as the WrestleMania six, when he got pinned in like what was it? 30 seconds, 45 seconds by Shawn Michaels up in Toronto. And in this one, he's pinned in 48 seconds by Tito Santana with his forearm, that flying forearm he did. Boom, done. And then a minute 46, so less than a minute later, Sato's pinned by Bushwhacker Butch. And about a minute and a half after that, Tanaka is also pinned by Tito. So they've knocked out three of them, and then Slaughter comes in, and then he just kind of periodically is just picking them off. And I think that they did that on purpose to try to really build him up, boom, and he just he did it so methodically slow, just a little bit at a time, just wearing them down. Well, it, I look at it, I look at the times, it didn't really feel like he was wearing them down. But he just took it back, took out Nikolai, you know, the Croatian who was actually, you know, he's supposed to be from Russia, but he's actually Croatian. And he was a politician up around your neck of the woods before he passed away. And then he took out the, the New Zealanders. Now he's going against Tito. And he got himself disqualified. Yeah. But I don't, I, I think in this case, they didn't need him to necessarily win. To get himself over, they just needed to show good he was because he took out three people. Yeah, but the Undertaker took out three people if you include himself. Yeah, true. But so we we have now Tito Santana surviving this last match. And then we get into the sole survivor package. But well, I about to say before they did the sole survivor package, they went to the great big egg and like, oh look, it's cracking open, and out pops oh, Hector well, Guerrero. No, no, no. Out pops former 24-7 champion, the Godly Cooper. We, we say that now. Future and former, future former 24-7 champion. 30 years later, 24-7 champion, which I thought that was actually kind of a neat thing to do because you knew as soon as our truth shows up, all right, somebody's taking the title. 
and then he's going to have it back by the end of the night, which is it, it, I don't want to say it's run its course because I still enjoy it because I like our truth. But I thought that was kind of all right. I have no idea who was in the gobbledygooker costume last night, but it was kind of neat to do that. You know, so <laughs> the egg, as the Undertaker says, I just didn't want to be the egg. In terms of <laughs> WWE surprises, is there a bigger letdown than the egg? <sighs> bigger letdown than the egg. You know... Let me think on that one. I'm I'm pretty sure I can come up with something, even though maybe kind of hard because, I mean, you got to think this was so bad that the WrestleCraft website they have their award named after this man, the Gooker Award, for the worst angle, or the worst character, or the worst whatever. I don't even think that web that website exists anymore. And if it does, it's not the way it used to be. But but they. They thought it was that bad, and WCW had some pretty bad ones too. But, but you know, I don't even think when the Renegade showed up, when Hogan said, "I got the ultimate surprise, dude," and like people were thinking, "Oh, the Warrior must be showing up," and then here comes the Renegade. You know, like this dude's like five foot eight. He's not the Warrior. He's got on paint, and he. Just looks like he's drinking a little bit too much caffeine. But that's not even as bad as this. The the costume was ridiculous. Other than him flapping his wings, he, he didn't do anything. <laughs> I don't think anything Hector Guerrero was in the costume going... Well, nobody recognizes me, and I'm getting paid, so heck with it. But at least I hope he got paid. But, yeah, overall pretty disappointing surprises. A good throwback. But as far as, like, wrestlers, could you have done anything with that? What, make the gobbledygook or a wrestler? Could could you have really, like, used a character that would have made sense there? <laughs> I'm trying to think. I mean, we didn't really have to look at... Who all was coming in the WWF, WWE, uh, New York? You know, who who came there not long after that? That would have been a worthy surprise. You know what? I think even having Hector Guerrero come out of the egg on his own would have been a good one because he's part of the Guerrero family. He's Hector Guerrero. He was good. Yeah, but been, nobody knew who he was back then. Uh, they In other territories, they did. I knew who he was. Not, I knew who not. Well, I mean, I knew who Hector and Chavo was, but but then again, Hector, it's not the first time he's been under a hood. It was Lasertron. 
I mean, being that this is the era of ridiculous gimmicks, I could have seen the bushwhackers coming out of that egg. You know, that would have kind of been par for the course. They were already turned into a, a comedy family act anyway, and I think nowadays they'd probably call the cops on them as soon as they lick the first forehead of a kid in the front row. Oh. And look at Seamus using the cloverleaf as a move. It, it makes sense. If, if you were licked on the head by a bushwhacker as a child, you were COVID immune. <laughs> you know what? I wouldn't doubt it. <laughs> but uh, just a ridiculous, like the, the gooker. And then the and then I know they're probably buying time to kind of give the the surviving survivors time to prepare for the match. You know, the very last match. But the fans were booing. When the fans start booing, kill it. They say, all right, well, nice meeting you. Yeah, see you around. And Gene Oakland then should have just, just started walking out of the ring, drop the mic, walk out of the ring, and don't turn back. And say, nope, I ain't having any part of it. And leave Hector there in the ring. And if he wants to keep dancing, hey, go for it. But the fans were booing, and they were booing hard because they were not expecting that. They were actually expecting something. And that something was it. Something good. You know, a wrestler, somebody, you know, coming out giving you a million dollars. An actual turkey. I don't know. And, and somewhere, my ninth grade home ec teacher got the idea for egg babies off of this pay-per-view. <laughs> for reasons. Egg babies. <laughs> but, uh, so we, you know, I think we both agree that it is one of the worst ideas of all time, maybe the worst. Maybe that'll be a top ten in the future worst ideas. I mean, we've already had, like, tasteless ideas. Maybe we should just say absolute worst ideas. But... But moving on to the last match, the way it started, I wasn't a fan of because the Warlord was the star of the show in his match that got him here. First thing they had to do, 28 seconds, lost to Tito, flying forearm, done. Like, really? You just buried the man like that after what he just did? No, that's the most lethal move from Mexico. Flying forearm. And, Bobby Heenan would always call it the flying the flying jalapeno. Or, or the flying burrito. The flying burrito, which was Manny Fernandez. He actually had a finishing move called that in Mid Atlantic back in the day, and it was very, very similar to a flying forearm. But with that, um a, a bionic Lex Luger could have made that a tremendous finish like he did with his running forearm but agree but before we get into this start of the match 
this whole concept of a soul survivor, what's it do? What's it for? It really didn't do anything. It's kind of like all the Royal Rumbles up, you know, or the first, let's see, 89, 90, 90, 91, the first four Royal Rumbles really didn't mean anything. Oh, you won the Royal Rumble. Like, so? And then 92, of course, making it for the title. And then after that, saying, okay, you win the Royal Rumble, now you have a title match at WrestleMania. Now it means something. This here was just another way of pushing Hogan and, of course, his buddy, now the Ultimate Warrior. Trying to say, oh, these are the ultimate good guys. It's like comic book booking. You know, it's superhero movie booking. Now, historically speaking, if Hogan goes heel, this would have been legendary and carried the WWF into the mid-90s. Yeah, I, they would have never turned Hogan heel at this time, though, just like they want John Cena heel. Of course, John Cena, I actually do get it because of his involvement with Make-A-Wish. So I, I definitely understand that one. But, yeah, it would have – I mean, if they would have turned Hogan heel, you're right. They would have brought a lot of attention uh, to the wrestling world because non-wrestling fans knew who Hulk Hogan was. You know, just looking at my notes for this, I say the final Ultimate Survivor match, first thing I see is pointless. Just a vehicle for Hogan and Warrior to look invincible, then a parentheses, not Tito. Uh, the Warrior music was very headbanging friendly, which it was. It hit the War- Ultimate Warrior's music, but it did make you want to throw up the horns and start banging your head. Uh, the Warlord knocked out very early. You know, and then I put Rente stupid. The powerplex was sloppy. When Hercules and Roma did the powerplex, when Paul Roma landed, I believe, his own Hogan, and it was very, very sloppy the way he did it. You know, he didn't actually land flat. He kind of landed on his feet first, and he kind of fell on him like, uh-huh. And no, you got to take care of Hogan because, you know, he's fragile. As we learned with the Undertaker tombstone the following year. Yeah, his head was a good six inches above the mat because, oh, my neck. And one of the things I also noticed, Hogan never hooked the leg when he pinned somebody. He just laid on top of him and that was it, which to me made his opponent look even that much worse. Well, Hogan's specialty was making sure Hogan looked good. Yep, even when he lost, he made sure he looked good. Now, Martel walking out, he still did the the classic. As you're turning and walking out of the ring, you got to take your arms and your hand, both your hands and kind of give a, ah, I'm done with this, you know, to one side. Like, you know, you're, like you're pushing something out of the way, but you just kind of turn around, ah, done. He did that. I'm like, yep, there it was. Classic. Classic heel move. But 
just to to have two guys, no matter how good they are, to go through five heels. Yeah, to take out the warlord, to take out Million Dollar Man, to take out power and glory. Had to make the model quit. And it was all like comic books. Hey, the good guy wins again. And I think by this time the next year, when of course when you had the guy who debuted on this night a year later, he's going for the world title. And the fans who should be booing him because he's a bad guy, well, they're cheering him. Yeah. And they're, they're cheering him because they want us, they're tired of Hogan because now Hogan has the title back. And of course, on this night, Ultimate Warrior has the title. And, you know, he wasn't defending it on this night. No, there were no titles defended on this night. And I have to look, just say it actually maybe the last world last rumble. The last Survivor Series where they did not have any titles defended because the tag team champions at this time were the Hart Foundation. They didn't defend the titles. Ultimate Warrior was a world champion. He didn't defend it. Intercontinental champion was uh, Texas Tornado. It didn't defend it. Yeah, the, so you had the world champion and the intercontinental champion both in the very first match as part of a team. So there were no title matches. And really, these matches, like you said, they really didn't mean anything. It was just a way of just having bragging rights. And that's it. Well, what do bragging rights get you? That and a token may get you on the subway. Yep. But, so, overall, the card... Could have been better. I can't give it a real high rating. And that's partly because of the gobbledygooker. I mean, that, well, that's a big chunk of it because it, you know, it was a big disappointment. And then they just kept going with it and kept going with it and kept going with it. And he's in there dancing. He's making Gene Oakland dance. And he's running the ropes. And he's having Gene run the ropes and not doing a very good job of it. And... And some parts of these matches were good, but then other parts weren't so good. And that last match before the Ultimate Survivor match felt kind of rushed, and it felt, like you said, it felt kind of out of place. Maybe they should have had it as one of the earlier matches. And maybe they should have had Slaughter go over and had T, you know, in this match, had T to go over in another match. But I don't know. I mean, they could have, they could have done that part maybe a little bit different because having Slaughter against Hogan and the Warrior in this, in this final uh, Survivor match, you could have had kind of a, a preview of what could happen and did happen later on for Slaughter against Warrior at the Rumble two months later, really a month and a half later. And Let, let's go with Slaughter wins and Tito's out because of what they end up doing to him anyway. Slaughter starts off the match 
and just chokes out Warrior and, and leaves him laying, gets disqualified. And you're set up for the Royal Rumble with very little effort from there. Very true. That sets it up right away because I don't even think Slaughter had even had any kind of matches with Warrior at this point, had he? No. But you have your first contact, chokes him out, beats him with the stick, whatever. Um, puts him in the Cobra clutch. And leaves him laying, gets disqualified, and you're set up for the Royal Rumble. And actually, Slaughter at this time, to show how he had really turned his back, quote-unquote, on America, he was not even using the Cobra Clutch. Now he had switched to using the Camel Clutch, which, of course, was the Iron Sheik's move. Yeah, but I can't remember what he named it. Uh, you know what? I don't remember either. It'll always be a camel clutch to me. Uh, invented by, ironically enough, by Gordy Guerrero. Oh. Overall, and even as an 11-year-old child, okay, what's the point the good guys win at the end? Now what? And everybody goes home happy. And that's what Vince Man was always going for. Hogan must pose because Hogan posing makes people happy. A year later, Hogan posing wasn't making people very happy. But it was starting to kind of irritate them. Yeah, but and much like Super Cena affects, affected today's fan, Super Hogan, for at that point, it was, what, six years? It, it ends up getting old. I was think, yeah, he won the title in, what, January of 84. So, yeah, it was actually by this point almost seven years. Right. And, yeah, it was getting old. Uh, people were starting to question the authenticity of it. And as we found out later on, yeah, they really had a good reason to question the authenticity of it. But I I enjoyed it at the time, even though if you would have asked me which I liked better, WWF or I was still calling it NWA at the time, I still would have chosen NWA because I thought the wrestling itself was better. The action in the ring was better and it wasn't cartoonish. This was all cartoonish. So at this point, I am watching WCW on TBS Saturdays and Sundays, and then clashes when they happen. And I'm, I'm at this point not even old enough to stay up to watch Monday night. Uh, I think it was Countdown, or they had a Monday night show. It was the precursor to Raw. Uh, and I, I really, also, this time, I wasn't watching as much wrestling. 
because this was my senior year of high school and I was developing kind of a, you know, I guess somewhat active social life, you know, where I was out uh, most Friday and Saturday nights. And you did most wrestling fans do not grow up to do. And that means you started to like girls. I did. (laughs) Well, I had already started to like them, but they were starting to like me back. So every wrestling fan story seems to begin with, well, I watched it from this period, and then I I started dating. She didn't like it too much, and yeah. Although I will say that a good population of the the girls in and around Hopkinsville, Kentucky, because that's where I was living at the time, they actually did – at least appreciate wrestling. And they had actually grown up more or less on the stuff out of Memphis because Hopkinsville was actually one of the stops they used to do for house shows. Because I was very excited when I first moved there in 1988 because there was a show that had just taken place at the convention center during Hopkinsville. The convention center as I found out later on, was only about a mile and a half away from my house. It was actually within walking distance because I actually did walk to it a few times later on. And they had a show. Of course, I didn't see it because, you know, we had just moved there and, and really stood not know where anything was at at the time. I was like, oh, they'll be back. And they never came back. But it was part of it was the stuff out of Memphis. Yeah, that was actually one of their stops and because apparently Jerry Lawler had – uh, he actually had a favorite place. He would actually uh, stop and get uh, hot dogs. It was at, it was called the Dodge Store, and I don't know if it was a chain, if it was more or less of a local chain, but they had the hot dogs. They called them the Dodger Dogs, and apparently that's what he liked was the Dodger Dogs. But anyway, I digress. Um, but yes, yeah, so I wasn't watching it as much. If it happened to be on when I was flipping through channels. I would watch it. I was still buying the magazines occasionally, you know, when I'd see them. But, you know, I was just getting into just different things at the time, you know. But, I mean, I still tried to keep up as much as what I could. I still knew who everybody was in these matches. I knew who The Undertaker was. I did not see it when it first happened. I just saw it later on. Because that's one thing I still didn't buy the pay-per-views back then. Maybe if I was in somebody's house, if they happen to have a satellite dish, hey, cool. But, but yeah, so, but, yeah, Hogan was still Hogan, even though I was also at that age where the bad guys were more appealing. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Now you're starting to evolve as a wrestling fan. Yep. And all of a sudden, you know, you used to like the Rock and Roll Express, but now you like the Four Horsemen a little bit better. Because, you know, you could relate more to them, or you wanted to relate more to them. And they were cooler. They were cooler. Holly Blanchard was a lot cooler. You know, Arn Anderson was serious business. You know, Barry Windham, I mean, he was a phenomenal wrestler. And then you had Ric Flair, it was Ric Flair. So, 
But I think this one, I mean, if you really want to look at it, it was, you can start to see the the slide of Hogan's popularity in the character. It's starting to slide kind of downhill. The peak of it had already come and gone. And at this point next year, he's champion again, but he's about to lose it to Undertaker, only to regain it, you know, six days later. You know, we discussed that last week. But then he lost it, like, as soon as he regained it. Like immediately, as soon as he regained it, and then by um, the time of the Survivor Series in '92, you know, I will actually have to go. And '92, you know what? I'm gonna have to go look at them. Who, who all was? What was going on in '92? '92 is the year of Flair. So he, he, you have Flair winning at the Royal Rumble. Then you have Macho Man beating Flair at WrestleMania 7. Going to SummerSlam to face the Ultimate Warrior. The title in September to Flair. Flair lost it. To Bret Hart. Bret Hart. And it was Bret Hart and Sean, ironically enough, in 1992 for the world title. So that was in 92. And of course, we know what happened five years later at the Survivor Series between Bret and Sean. So that one is kind of, it seems like it's a Survivor Series is kind of looked over. And it seems like it's that's kind of a shame. Oh, it had the, the coffin match between Taker and Kamala. So, but as far as like you know, the, popul- the popularity of Hogan kind of waning down. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because the next year he was back in the world title hunt, but the year after that he wasn't even there. I mean, he was in part of the WWF still. I guess technically, but he was not involved with the Survivor Series. And by the time it rolled around in 93, he was gone. And he wouldn't show up again until, uh, in wrestling period, really, until 1994. And he didn't show up in WWF. I mean, he showed up in WCW. So, kind of like, almost like Hogan's last hurrah at a Survivor Series. Like I said, not a bad thing. Not at all. So what do we got next week, buddy? So next week, and I had it right in front of me, and then I closed the file. And that is my fault, and I apologize for that. Next week, the 30th of November, we're going to talk about the top ten celebrities involved with wrestling. I mean, we were kind of discussing this earlier, our criteria for this, but I think we're just going to kind of call it a wild card. What do you think? I mean, maybe they wrestled. Maybe they were just involved. But I would say the ones we feel had the most impact. I I know I'm going to have one who attended a WrestleMania. And then most of the others actually participated in a match of some kind. Let me see. And then criteria-wise, it's match, 
and then overall impact because Cindy Lauper is an example. She never wrestled, but, but she still had a lot of. She impacted the sport pretty highly in a positive way. Yeah, you can't not give her the value of rock and wrestling on MTV. No, I mean, you know, and have they put her in the Hall of Fame? I think they did recently. Because if they haven't, that's a travesty because she actually gave quite a bit. And that's something else we could talk about later on, the whole people who maybe are who are in the Hall of Fame who shouldn't be there. That that could be a top ten list for the future as we get closer and closer to Hall of Fame time. But anyway. There's not a single wrestler that doesn't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame, but we discredit some because there are others who are not. Right. Now, we say wrestlers who don't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. There are some celebrities who their their involvement in the Hall of Fame is kind of questionable. But anyway, we'll discuss that at a later date. As I'm watching Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax just beat the tar out of Oscar for whatever reason, um, because yeah, but because she's there. But yeah, so that'll be on the agenda for next week. And just to give everybody kind of a kind of a little bit of a sneak peek as what we have further along, you know, come up. At some point, we're going to do top 10 comebacks uh on the 14th of december i am actually going to be in orlando with my family so kyle and i have decided we're going to do top some kind of top 10 list related to florida outside of that florida wrestling florida wrestlers florida events just florida in general which i actually like the state of florida and i wouldn't mind moving there myself someday but obviously, it's not going to be tomorrow, so yeah, kind of a dream for it now. But outside of that, we are always welcome to hear anybody's suggestions. We are welcome to hear anybody's own submissions to our top 10. We don't just, even though it's only been Kyle and I doing the top 10 list, if anybody else wants to send us their own personal top 10, and what we ask is that you send us a list of 20 if you can. You know, just if you don't. Send us twenty, and we'll we'll make do with what whatever it is that you send us. If you have have ideas for shows, contact us. And I'll I'll actually give that information again. If you want to email us, armchairbookingpodcast at gmail dot com. You can send us a message on our Facebook page, through facebook dot com slash armchairbookingpodcast. You can hit hit us up on Twitter at bookingarmchair, and yeah, just li- give us any kind of feedback. In fact, when you when you listen to our shows on iHeartRadio or Stitcher or Apple Podcasts or Spotify, go and give us a five-star review. Let us know anything you think that we're doing great on. Let us know anything you think we might need to improve. So, Kyle, do you have any, any, any words for all of our audience out there? We're about to do a top ten for reasons you should donate to Selena Dean's mother's fundraiser. Oh, Absolutely. Because with her mom fighting breast cancer, and Kyle, I mean, I know you mentioned it before about, you said your stepmom, 
you know, she fought and fought and fought. And she beat it, what, three times, you said? Yeah. She beat it twice. She lost the third time. Yeah, so, I mean, for so for Kyle, I mean, this is very, very personal. I mean, we and we've also known other people besides, you know, family. But that does make it more personal, as anybody should know. If you've lost somebody to breast cancer, please go to the GoFundMe. You can find the link on our Facebook. You can find the link on our Twitter. And please donate if you can. You know, that's all we ask. It's all that Selena Dean asks because it's really for a worthy cause. And if you want to know more about that, y'all absolutely contact us and we will put you in the right direction for wherever you need to go to actually help Selena Dean out. So, and it's small and mean Selena Dean. Yes. And I have actually seen her in person and she is very good. And I'll be seeing her again, I believe, in January. They are coming back to the little town that I live in right now of Mount Orb, Ohio. She'll be with the Northern Wrestling Federation. And I will actually have to send her another message. And I actually would not mind having her on the show to speak more of her fundraisers and more about herself just – to give everybody an idea because we, a lot of times we look at the wrestlers as their characters. And when sometimes we forget they are still human beings, they still have families and they have situations like this. And so whatever you can do to help out, please go help out. So uh, anybody wants to contact us, just let us know. So Kyle, my friend, I think on that note, we are going to go ahead and, Wrap up just slightly short of an hour and a half, but not too far, not too far off. So uh, remember, folks, next week, you know, the top 10 celebrities in wrestling. If you have any any ideas, if you have your own top 10 celebrities, just send it to us. We'd appreciate hearing from you. And Kyle, on that note, I will go ahead and bid you you farewell until next week. All right, man. Have a good one. And happy Thanksgiving. Oh, happy Thanksgiving to you too, man. We'll see you. All right.